Hey there, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Margaret Petrie, and this is Authentic Obsessions. The world is filled with prolific artists who have this obsessive hunger to create. And today, I'm bringing you an enthusiastic and kind soul who's not afraid to laugh at herself and all the absurd things that life brings her way. I'm so excited for you to get to know Krista Allenstein. She's obsessed with the past, especially vintage maps and neon road signs. We'll get into how these obsessions came together to form her business, Follow the Signs Painting. Krista shares her journey from wardrobe mistress and shoe coordinator and several unique jobs in between to full-time working artist. Her infectious laughter will have you smiling and her compassion and honesty will inspire you. I am positive you will love this conversation with Krista, a Midwestern optimistic artist who digs the past and feels good about the future. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Krista Allenstein. I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Today on the show, I'm talking with Krista Allenstein, a Milwaukee artist who is obsessed with vintage maps, neon road signs, and the past. She gives old items a purpose and an opportunity to exist in a new way. Krista paints retro neon road signs onto her collection of vintage maps. She changes the wording into positive and encouraging messages, transforming them from Joe's Diner or Beachfront Hotel to sayings like, good karma beckons and let's find common ground. The original signs were made during a time when not all customers were welcome at these motels, liquor stores, and diners, so Krista reinvents them to attract and welcome everyone. Krista graduated from the School of Visual Arts in New York City, exhibits widely at galleries and art fairs, and was selected as the 2020 Milwaukee Lakefront Festival of Art poster feature artist. I can't wait to dive into this conversation with this Midwestern optimistic artist who curses like a sailor and was voted worst driver in high school. So now <laughs> let's hear about the working habits and mental and physical spaces that nourish her creativity. Hey, Krista, I am so happy you're here. I'm really, really happy to be here. It, that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know I was going to say that. Hopefully you won't curse like a sailor too much. <laughs> I will try to contain my, <laughs> my curses. I'll keep it to a minimum. Before we get into your obsessions and overcoming internal barriers and all that, you weren't always a working artist. I have to know about your life as a wardrobe mistress and shoe coordinator. Uh, that was for the Milwaukee Ballet. I, I loved working for the Milwaukee Ballet. And honestly, I thought that that was the end of the road for me. I thought that that was my dream job. Once I had obtained that, I, I was really happy for a long time. So a wardrobe mistress is someone that takes care of all the costumes. We don't make them. We just take care of them. We clean them. We dress the actors, or in this case, the ballet dancers. And we're at every performance. And that was great for a long time. That role coexisted with the shoe coordinator role, which is so fun in a ballet company. Every dancer has a specific kind of shoe that they wear. Some of them take a year or longer to get. And so the shoe coordinator makes sure they're on top of all those orders and there's specifications. So every point shoe that is made is made exactly for that dancer with as far as length and size and, and the box and everything. So the shoe coordinator makes sure that that is all taken care of for 40 plus dancers for every season. 
that sounds very detail oriented. It was, it was. And that's the part I liked. I liked that. And I was able to interact with really great people. That, that part I, I actually miss as, as a working artist, being with people every day and interacting with them. Yeah, the, the dancers were like my, I don't want to say they're like my children because I'm not ready to be that old, but they're like my much, much, much younger cousins um, that I love very much. <laughs> they, it was such a great job, but I did find when I was a, a wardrobe mistress, I was gone a lot from home on the weekend, during every show, every nutcracker. So all all December I was gone. And um, so that took a toll on my family. And so then I focused mostly just on the shoes and uh, the wardrobe mistress part went to someone else. I just love the shoes. I could, I could hang out with point shoes all day. <laughs> That's awesome. So what other jobs did you have before you became a full-time working artist? I was a, a puppeteer. I was a toy designer. What kind I of had toys? It, you know, all sorts of toys. I worked for a, an invention firm in Chicago, and we invented toys and then sold the ideas to Mattel and Hasbro and, and places like that. Is it anything that we've heard of? Oh, the toys? Yeah. So my toys never really made it. <laughs> <laughs> they kept you employed anyway. For they a while. liked your infectious laugh. <laughs> Yeah, no, they didn't really make it. I, I'm grateful for that job because, well, actually, um, my, one of my dear friends there, she introduced me to Chuck, my husband. So I, there's lots of things that lead, you know, one to another. You can see this chain in your life. And that was a very necessary step for me. It was not like the movie Big. It wasn't, we weren't playing with toys all the time. It was super cutthroat. <laughs> You know, big, big toy places steal ideas. Like that stuff's super real. I love the people I worked with. That is a theme for me. I love the people I work with. Let's see, I, I had a birthday party business. Good God. I, I threw like 250 birthday parties. I'm going to go ahead and give that the stamp of unpleasant. <laughs> too many, too many birthday parties. And then that led me to the ballet and that I was involved with the ballet for about 10 years. And now we're here. So what prompted you to become a full-time artist? I wasn't always brave. I haven't been brave. And you really have to be brave as an artist until right after the 2016 election. It was, I would say, I really started approaching this in earnest that winter 2017. And there was sort of a shift for me. And I decided that it was time to, to give this another shot as far as being a full-time artist. I would see artists, you know, art fairs, I knew artists, and I always just was impressed by them. And I guess I just thought it's time to give this another whirl. And so I was still working for the ballet and um, trying to figure out what I wanted to share because you really do have to have some vision to be a working artist, I think. You have to have a niche. And I, I did not yet have that. I was working on something completely different, still with roadmaps, uh, but there were houses that I would paint, and then I was there were photos, old photos, and I painted a small neon sign with something positive on it on the map. And I looked at that, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's way better than what I have been doing." And then I I just I've been painting signs ever since. So, can you describe for us what you make? Sure. For people who I, haven't seen your Instagram account yet. Yeah, I 
paint directly onto vintage maps. I have a collection, of course, been building up my collection for years. So I take a vintage map, uh, I adhere it to a hardboard with uh, archival adhesive. And then I take a sign, an image of a sign that, that I've taken, and I paint it in oil paint onto the vintage map. But I change the wording of the map to be positive or inspirational, funny in nature. I try to keep the typography the same um, so it doesn't look like it doesn't belong there the same. It looks like it has always been there. Yeah, that's what I do. Are there reactions or conversations you hope to spark in people when they see your art? Definitely. I One of the reasons I think I was attracted to these signs or making signs, other than the fact that they're just like a zillion signs out there that are decaying every day and falling into pieces. And I think it's important to document them. And there's a, so many positive things to say or messages to put out there into the world. But I, for one, have made a lot of my decisions based on something that I've been reminded of. And, and I always feel like I always feel like it's something like an angel on my shoulder that is like, hey, dummy, remember you were going to do this or woohoo over here. You're making a mistake. This is the direction you should be going in. And so these signs for me, I like to think that if they resonate with anyone, it's, it's just reminding them of something they already know. Like you are a brave person. You are an important person. You are a smart person. You're a kind person. And I, I think sometimes people forget that and they need, they need another little nudge along the way. And I love it when I go to art fairs. I like it so much when people think they are real signs. They think that these are signs, you know, just advertising places and they realize they say something different. Then they laugh and then sometimes they get really quiet. And, and I think that it, it does trigger something in people. And I, that's, my, that's the entirety of my goal I, is to put something out there that is positive. You know, after, after 2016, I was really bummed out about the world and, and not just because of not just because of who was elected, but because of the world's reaction in general, you know, whatever side you're on, it was just so negative. And I was trying to show my boys, these teenage boys, that you can say something and you can put something out there and it does not have to be dark and negative and hateful. It can be positive. It can be the opposite and have a stronger effect. So I don't know, it's just my little, it's a, it's a small effort in a big C, what I'm trying to do. I think you're achieving your goal. When I first saw your work, I had that same reaction too. I looked at it and it took me a while before I realized they weren't the real wording on the signs. And I bought a couple of them. I bought one for my sister mm-hmm. who was very involved in swimming. So I bought the just dive in one and gave that to her for Christmas one year. And my husband bought the just stop worrying. Stop worrying. Stop worrying. It doesn't help. Yes, that one. <laughs> and it is up <laughs> right in our living room. Yeah. As you walk in the front door, as you walk in the door, you see it every day. <laughs> and good. I love them. And they do make me smile. And they're cheerful and bright. And, and I do reflect on where they came from a little bit in the history of where you got those. I just think you combine, yeah. well, maybe a lot of your obsessions into one. Can you talk yeah. about your obsessions and how they manifested? 
Yes. So I wear 99% of the stuff I wear is old, like from the 60s and 70s. Um, I inherited all of my mother's clothes when I was a young mom. I would say I was in my early 30s and just started wearing them. And they were from the 60s and 70s. I've always been attracted to old things, just things from the past, things that have, have been gently loved and discarded or greatly loved and discarded. I, I like that idea. Um, I don't like new things. And that really is the definition of these signs. I mean, some of these signs are just, just a mess. And that makes a great painting. So it, that works for me. So when I, I inherited all these things of my mom, I, I just started really doubling down on that. Just, I, I kind of found, found exactly how I wanted to be. You know, I wanted, that's, that's how I didn't want to look like everyone else. I didn't want to wear what everyone else was looking, wearing. I just felt more comfortable wearing something that someone else had worn and someone else had loved. And, and that really is an obsession of mine. I, it, it, it's reflected in everything that's in this house, whether my family wants it or not. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And there's just so much to, there's so much to celebrate in the past. Now, in in contrast to that, I do not enjoy looking at photos uh, of my family from the past. I do not like enjoy looking at notes or any sort of scrapbooking from the past, even though I do it. It is such a weird contrast. Um, So I'll celebrate other people's past, (laughs) but I have a really hard time looking back into my own. And I don't, that's someone, someone I'm sure could untangle that and have a super fun time with it. (laughs) You don't have any idea why that is? I guess I do. I I do have an idea. Um, You know, my mom, uh, she died when I was 14. Um, and my grand, her, my grandparents, her parents died a month after that in a car accident. So we, Oh, I'm um, so sorry. Oh, you know, it, I, I said it before wow. and I'll say it again. It's, it's the reason I am the way I am. And so it's hard to lament something that has formed your entirety of your core. I, I cannot, it's such a, it's such a, a tug of war, you know, yes, I'm very sad about that. And I really wish I had my mom with me, but if I had my mom with me right now, I wouldn't look or act or talk or be me in any way. So I, so I think that has a lot to do with it. I find it, I used to be very um, frustrated as a kid when people would say, Oh, you've you've done so well for yourself, even though you know your mom and your grandparents died. You know they always like sort of like added that as a like an addendum to everything, and I and I didn't want it to define me. And then as I got older, I realized, yeah, oh yeah, that's defined you, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It does not have to be a negative thing. So I think that's that's what it is. And as a mom, when I look back at young baby pictures, I just my heart. I just, I don't feel like I can handle it right now. <laughs> I see those little faces and I, and I think I have two hairy man children now and <laughs> where are the babies? Um, so I just, I, someday I'll be able to look at them, but it's not now. <laughs> That's fair. Totally fair. Um, so where did your obsession with vintage maps come from? You know, honestly, I don't remember when, oh, I do remember fourth grade. I know. It's Mr. Garver's fourth grade class. I, he was a really smart man. So he had good student points, you know, point system. And 
once a semester, once a quarter, you could use your good points to buy things in his classroom. And they weren't new things. They weren't things that he purchased. They were things he intended on throwing away anyway, right? So he created this like currency and then value in something that was going in the garbage. So he was selling like a 1960s world map, you know, one that you pulled down and it wasn't, you know, uh, relevant or accurate anymore. And I bought that with like the entirety of my good student points. And um, was it giant? It's giant. I still have yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it's giant. And I remember bringing it home and my mom was like, what's the plan, Stan? Like, what are we doing with this? And I don't, she must have promptly put it into the basement because that is where I found it in college. Cause I asked my dad, I was like, dad, where is that map? That map was the bee's knees. And he's like, oh, downstairs. Cause he doesn't get rid of anything. Yeah. That's where it started. Fourth grade. And in college, I just bought just tons and tons. I don't know what I intended to do with them in college because when I finally decided to paint on maps and I found them in a box in the basement, you know, I, they'd been languishing there for 15 years, 20 years. I don't ever tell map collectors though, what I do with them. They, I don't think they would approve at all uh, with what I do to the maps. I, I had one, actually, I've had two gentlemen come into my booth and say, don't you feel bad for ruining the map, the maps? And I always say, no, I think they'd rather be here than in a box. But thank you for your concern. <laughs> You're giving them a new life. I think I am. Uh, those gentlemen did not think that at all. No. Well, he is not your target audience. <laughs> no. Decidedly not, no. <laughs> so going on the map theme, I understand you're a bit of a nomad at one point in your life. Yeah. How did you find your place in the world? Oh my gosh. And it's so, I, um, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, couldn't leave it fast enough, went to New York City to uh, art school, loved it, went to San Francisco, loved that, and, and then ended up in Chicago with a job. And that's, that was the toy design job. And then I met my husband and he lived in Milwaukee. So we were doing the long distance thing, Chicago to Milwaukee. And I like Milwaukee much better. And it was, it, that was an interesting shift because while I, I always thought I was a, a big city girl, you know, a, a small town girl, but actually at heart, a big city girl, I started gravitating, gravitating towards a smaller city. And then now I live in a little suburb that's smaller than the town I grew up in. <laughs> so it's come full circle. I think your um, priorities change a lot. My priorities change a lot. And I, frankly, I just got tired of traffic. I got tired of parking. I got tired of all that stuff, you know, that just wasn't fun anymore. No. So, it takes up so much yeah. space in your life that you could be oh, doing other things. Absolutely. And Milwaukee is one of those towns, one of those cities that I just feel like the rest of the world hasn't quite figured out yet. And I'm glad because if they figured out how great it was, everyone would come here and then it, the parking would stink again. <laughs> so I'm, I don't know. I, this is a great, it's, it's the best of both worlds to me. But yeah, when my, when I told my dad I was moving to Milwaukee, that's when he, he said, you must cease this nomadic existence. He was very, very, very upset. <laughs> your, does your father still live in Ohio? Yeah, he does. He um, still works and he's 
busy guy and he he's walked back everything he said you know he he's acknowledged that <laughs> I did make some good choices along the way <laughs> well it all gets you to where we are here right where we are That's today right. I'm thinking about creativity and authenticity I think that creativity flourishes when we are compassionate and courageous and connect with our tribe allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Brene Brown says that vulnerability is the birthplace of creativity. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, so if I want to be more creative, I just have to be more open and honest and real. I can do that. That seems easy. It's not like taking a class, right? <laughs> it's a lot harder in practice. But it's apparent by reading your Instagram posts, for example, that you are vulnerable and brave and compassionate and your creativity just keeps shining when you're open and honest. Can you talk a little bit about how you're vulnerable and how you're brave? That's, that's very kind. You know, I think you reach a point in your life when all of those chains of worrying about what other people think fall off. For me, it was in, I would say, my late 30s. And I remember very vividly the switch. And it's, it's such a gift. It's such a gift to be able to say, you know, I need to say this. I want to say this. I want to do this. I want to be this. And that's okay. And I'm not going to worry about what the next person thinks. If it's in a good place, obviously, if it's a hateful thing, yeah, that's not a great thing to put out there. But if you're being, if you're saying, talking from your heart and you're being as honest as possible, there's really, there's really no downside to that. And if there's backlash from that, well, it's probably from, it's probably feedback from people you, you, you don't need to worry about if you're being honest and kind and open. Um, I think kids are the best teachers in this because, you know, I would find myself trying to tell my kids things or give them advice about things and then realizing that I wasn't taking that advice myself. Like, you know, it's okay to try and fail. And then I would turn that mirror on myself and think, huh, that's funny. Well, I haven't tried. I haven't tried that because I'm afraid of failing. That's, you know, very powerful to try to give your kids advice and realize that you're not, you're not falling at yourself. The Instagram thing, the social media thing has been really funny because I have been very anti both, very, very anti um, social media for most of my adult life. I've not been on Facebook. I wasn't on Instagram. And I finally had a friend say, you know, if you are really serious about becoming a working artist, you have to have an Instagram page. So it came, I, kicking and screaming. That's how I would describe my approach to Instagram. But now that I'm there and I found people, you know, people I don't know at all who have the same opinions and same visions and make me laugh on a daily basis. I enjoy it. And being able to share stories. One of my favorite things is to laugh and, and laugh at myself because there are absurd things that happen every day. And it's like the best part of living. And I, I, I love sharing those stories of like, let me tell you what happened to me today. I mean, I've got some doozies. I say to my kids, you know, the most embarrassing thing in the world happened to me today, and I'm going to tell it to you. So when you think you're having an embarrassing day, you can say, well, at least it's not as bad as what mom just did. You know, <laughs> you have something to compare it to. <laughs> well, and the power goes, and yeah. it's 
become so important if you just get it out of your head and put it out there. Yeah, it's, that's exactly right. Like you, you know, all these things that we worry about every day, you know, if you put it out there, you'll find that 99% of the people feel the exact same way or the exact same thing happened to them. And then all of a sudden you are not in your head by yourself anymore. And that's so important. I heard this thing. Someone said, the truth is that our flaws make us human and whole. Our conventional views, unusual habits, and quirky patterns are all part of what makes us who we are. And it's so true because it's what I love in other people. But when you turn it on yourself, it becomes a lot harder. So the more you practice vulnerability, right, the easier it is to do and the freer you are. And I think that for me, it's a physical sensation of feeling looser. Once I don't, I'm not tense with all those, I don't know, internal barriers in my head, then I can be more creative. So I totally believe that vulnerability is the birthplace of creativity. I just think that's, I just think that's a good motto for me personally to listen to every day. That's a great one. It's so, so right. It's so right. As soon as you figure out that, as soon as I figured out exactly who I was, awkward and clumsy and silly and neurotic, you know, and I haven't figured it out, but it's, I like those parts are, are, yeah, that's who makes, that's who makes you, you, you know, and um, as soon as you're ready to share it, I mean, people respond to truth. I, that is the other thing. People respond to the pieces that I make that are my most honest. Those are the ones that people respond to. The ones that came straight from my heart and not my head. You know, I wasn't thinking them through at all. I was just doing them. That stop worrying. It doesn't help that one. Yeah. <laughs> that was absolutely for me. I was like sitting there obsessing. And so I started drawing and I was like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> Good. Is there anything that keeps you up at night? Oh, what yeah. stops you in your tracks? Yes. I mean, my kids, I think my, my kids, anything happening to my kids. I, I called my dad and I said, does the worry ever go away? Like, do you ever? And he said, no. <laughs> I was so sad. I was like, oh, fabulous. It's not a worry I would give up for the world. I mean, I, I can't imagine not having that worry, you know, not having my kids to worry about. But yeah, that's, that's what keeps me up at night, for sure. For sure. I try, I try not to let a lot of other things. I mean, I worry about my, I used to worry about my husband um, a lot too. I used to worry about car accidents, like all sorts of things. I would obsess about a lot of things happening until I, and I got a lot of help with this. It wasn't helping anything. Like it wasn't, wasn't solving any problem. I wasn't preventing anything with my mind worry. I wasn't, I wasn't putting a force field around anyone with my mind worry. Like nothing, nothing good was happening with that except for, you know, making myself sick. So but the kid thing, that doesn't, that's just ingrained in us, I think. It's very apparent to me that you help others feel seen and heard by the work that you do and by sharing your experiences. How do you feel seen and heard? That's such a good question. I feel very lucky. People have been very nice to me. And, you know, our, our friend Frank Juarez, he, I think he was the first person in the art world here in Milwaukee and he really like just showed me such kindness, you know, such generosity. He let me show in his gallery, just, and that was to me, it was shocking to me. It was, there was just something so surprising in that generosity. 
I felt wholly undeserving of it. And it still, it still takes me by surprise. So I, I feel very fortunate that, that people have responded in the way that they have. I did not expect that. It is surprising every day when it happens. He, like I said, he was the first person. And every, every so often I want to say, Frank, <laughs> like, thank you. And not why, but just, I, I, it, you can tell I have no words for this because it was just such a surprise. He's such a champion for artists around here and he continues to be. That's a, my awkward answer to that question. <laughs> no, that's great. I totally agree. Frank gives so much to the entire Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin and Wisconsin community. Wisconsin. He, he, and he's he all over. Boundless energy. He's a teacher. He just, I, I'm like, do you have just multi, you know, multiple platforms that you're constantly typing on every moment of every day? I don't and there are people sleeps. like that. No, I don't think he, um, he sleeps either. There are people in this community where I'm just like, I am amazed by their, by their energy and generosity. Okay. You have a lot of energy. <laughs> you seem, we had a conversation earlier where you told, we, we talked about how you like to work all the time. Tell me about um, that. Uh, yeah. I love to work. I love it. And it's not because to me, it's not work now that I figured out what I want to say. It's, it's fun. I cannot stop, even if I wanted to. And I think my family would attest to that. I have to make myself stop so I can do the appropriate and right things like be with my family, make dinner, acknowledge that everybody needs to eat, not just cereal. You know, I have to force myself to carve out those times. And I do, because that's, you know, one of the reasons why I work out of my home so I can be available to my family. But if someone would say, what do you like to do for fun? I would say, I like to paint and work, which is, to, I, I think to people that um, work a nine to five job, that's a weird answer. You know, they look forward to that weekend when they don't have to work. And for me, I'm like, you, the, the weekend's coming. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop. And I don't like that feeling. So it's, a, it's an internal struggle that I, I try to figure out a solution to every day. And I don't think I'm going to get, get to that solution. I think it's just going to be a constant give and take. And I think that's what happens when you're an artist. It's not a, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. It's, a, it's, an, it's an obsession. It's, you know, this is what I do. This is who I am. It's like a, it's my, my arm or my leg. I, yeah, I, I, I do love to work. I have two questions that aren't really related, but I have to say them now or I'm going to forget. <laughs> One, do you feel like you're going to run out of time? And two, when your art turned into work, I mean, you made this conscious decision, it sounds like, to become a working full-time artist. How do you cultivate rest and play? Do you have time for any rest and play and recovery? Yeah. Yes. Rest and play. Um, so is, it, it isn't making art. There, that, there's no making art involved in rest and play at all. You know, sitting um, by a, a campfire with my family, we do that a lot. Just sitting and talking, playing games. We do a lot of board games. Um, we're super nerds. We're watching The Last Avatar on Netflix. Being with them, that's, that's my rest. And running out of time, no, that's, that's really interesting. I think, you know, I used to wonder 
what it would feel like to exceed my mom's age when she passed away. So she was 42 and I'm 47 now. And I remember when I reached 42, it was this weird like wall that all of a sudden I got beyond. And then I was two days beyond it and then three days beyond it. And now I'm five years beyond it, which is bizarre to me. And no, I, I don't have that same fear anymore that I'm racing the clock. Um, and it's strange to like, maybe it's not strange. Maybe it's, it's entirely understandable, but I, to ha- I had that barrier. I had that sort of race against time. And now that, now that I realize I'm not my mother and me, I'm, I'm a different journey. I don't have that same feeling. That's interesting. When I asked that question, I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of your mom dying at such a young age. But for me, I get so, I'm an optimistic, enthusiastic, hopeful person. And there are so many things I want to do in my life. And I feel (laughs) like I won't have time to do them all. So I get sort of panicky that I'm not going to be able to not achieve great success, but just dip my toes in and do all the things and experience all the experiences and try all the new things. And for me, that's how I think about running out of time. I mean, of course, I don't want to die. Sure, sure. No, but, I took that to you it. Know. Well, you yeah. know, it's such a good problem to have, isn't it? Cause it I, is. Isn't it? I, so I've never been bored. I don't know about you. No, right? never. Never bored. Never been bored. And I think that it is a foreign idea sometimes to people. And a gift. Like, oh, yes, a gift. Exactly. I, I do not know what it feels like to not have something to do. Like to do. Like I need to always be doing something. It makes my family bonkers. <laughs> like absolutely. <laughs> they lose their mind. They cannot. They're like, please sit. And then I'll sit. And I'm like, I am sitting what would you like me to do now? You know, like I, <laughs> uh, so I, what a gift, you know, to have so many things you want to do. And then um, if you can't get to them all, you know, great. I, I, uh, I, I hear you. I absolutely hear you. And I, I know that feeling. I'm going to call you the next time they tell me to sit. <laughs> Go right ahead. It's usually just- while we're watching TV and my husband will say, can't you just sit and watch TV? And I'm sorting through something or I'm, I'm cutting, I'm pasting, I'm playing cards with myself. I'm going through the mail. There's always yes. all these things to do. I can't just sit. Who sits? Well, I mean, who sits during sit. the day? Like yeah, I'm, your I'm, eyeballs, right? You yeah. can watch and do something with my hands. Absolutely. The only thing I can't do at the same time, and my kids have acknowledged this, I can, this, this just is um, an testament to my problems with technology and social media is I cannot text, look at my phone and do anything else. Like, I, it's like my brain fully has to focus on that act and they make fun of me. They're like, you can't multitask, which made me laugh the other day. I'm like, I can't multitask. That's funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> Only when it comes to social media or phones. Yeah, it's true. No, I can't multitask with that. <laughs> I don't even know if it's about multitasking. It's just about, I, I, I like to feel useful all day long. Yes. And to me feeling useful, I don't know, like running an errand or mowing the lawn or, you know, long lists, check them off. I like Less. to do things. Love lists. Oh, oh, I love a list. Oh, tell me about your lists. 
<laughs> oh my God, multiple lists. Um, I try to keep them all on the same one, but you know, I start every day with a written list. Um, I've tried the, I've tried the phone list. That's not, you can't cross it out. There it is. There's your list. I love. Also on the phone, also just, in, on a calendar, also yes. in a notebook. Yes. It's so gratifying to cross things off a list. It's just, it's just the thing for me. I actually wanted wow. to get my dad. I hope my dad never hears this because he can't stand tattoos, but I wanted to put, I used to write things especially at the ballet on my hand so i wouldn't forget in a list form and i was like you know what i might as well just put like one line two line three line on my arm and then i could just like write in what i need to do that day and then wash it off it's your own dry erase board that will never leave I, you it may happen it may sorry dad that is such an <laughs> awesome idea if i had the guts i would do that It'd be the inner part of my left yep. arm. Yep. Mm -hmm. So I could write on it. It's happening. <laughs> okay. Speaking of the body, tell me about the physicality of your work. Do you work? I feel like you work very small. Yes. How does that? A, pi a picture of me. Someone took a My son took a picture of me and I was like in a ball. It was awful. <laughs> I had my like knees up to my chest. I was like hunched over. I had my feet up on a stool. I was sitting. Um, I looked, it looked like that's like I was rolled up into a ball. So uh, I needed to be better about standing when I work, but I'm not, do, I sit. Do you do yoga when you're done or something to stretch or? I do do, I do stretch. It's really funny. The Allenstein, the Varian Allensteins, I'm a Varian, I have Allensteins. We're very inflexible people. It's like comical in gym class. My kids get like Whatever is the most remedial stretching <laughs> goalpost, that's what they get. And I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Not flexible. So I'm going to have to work on that a little bit, I think. But yeah, it's, it is physical. And I don't notice how problematic it is until I stop. So five hours, right? If I'm working at a stretch and then I stand up, I take my reading glasses off. I can't see anything right? Uh, because I've been looking at something close with reading glasses for five hours. Then I tried to, what, drive. It's not safe. And, and, and I'm not myself. Like, it is, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous process. <laughs> so you do art fairs. Tell me about the physicality of that. What's it like for, or yeah. to, set, to get ready, to set up, to haul everything, to stand all day, hard. Those are hard days. Those yeah. are, I will miss that this summer though. Yeah. Very difficult to set up the tent. Um, sometimes you're dealing with weather. Uh, my friend Monica and I set up my tent once I, there was like gale force winds. You know, I were trying to put up this tent. I always wear a skirt. So that was blowing up over my head. I was flashing all the neighbors. Uh, very awful. And then you get set up and the days are, you know, sometimes they're 12 hour days and, and sometimes they're, you know, 95 degrees. I think that's when it's the worst when it's hot because there's no way to be comfortable during those those periods of time. When you're in your art booth, it's really important not to, you know, read or look like you're not involved, right? You can't look detached. At the same token, you can't stare at people because that's that's awkward and weird. So uh, you have to find this like bizarre, like sort of staring into space, but not and 
so I started sketching during art fairs. So I'd actually at least get some work done. Also look like I was sort of doing an artistic thing, not staring at people, but still engaged, not reading a book, not looking at my phone. So I do that. But the but art fairs are the best because you get to talk to people and interesting people and fun people. You know, we work, I work by myself. I don't talk to anybody all day and for what, nine months. And then three months out of the year, I get to talk to people one, one weekend and it makes it all worthwhile. Otherwise, you know, why are we, why am I doing this? You know, I'm not making it, I'm not making it just for myself and I'm not making it to store in boxes. So I, I love it. But at the end of an art fair, I am done, like physically done. So as far as like doing any work, like not a chance. That's when I really find that rest period important. And, and I feel like I give myself permission to not work. Like you really worked this weekend, Krista. So you do not have to work for the next day or two. It's okay. And I'll have that conversation in my head. And it wouldn't matter if I had something to do, I wouldn't be able to do it. So that's the one thing that takes something out of you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> they do. You know what it is? It's, I mean, talking and laughing and smiling is so great. And it's so fun. And it, when you are talking for 10 hours a day or whatever it is, and you're on, you're on, like you need to be present every moment at art fairs to have it, to, it, in my opinion, to have a successful art fair. You cannot sit back and just passively let people, you know, appreciate or not appreciate your art. Because I think a successful art fair happens when a person connects with the artist. And but after connecting with people for that long, it's, it takes a lot out of you. And then you oh. have to take down your tent. <laughs> oh, and then you have to drive home. You have to drive home. <laughs> but luckily, I haven't been wearing my reading glasses at that point. So it's safer. <laughs> For everyone else out on the For road. everyone else. <laughs> I think I know the answer to this question, but let's talk about it. Do you have a uniform when you paint and when you are yeah. out in the world? And yes, I, I wear almost exclusively dresses and skirts. While you paint. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I am going to need to have painting clothes, painting, painting dresses. And I've started figuring that out and dresses we let the other, the rest of the world see. I do wear an apron. I have an apron that I wear. I had uh, like coveralls that I was wearing, but the problem was when I needed to stop painting and do something, then I'd have to change back into normal clothes. And that just took too long to, you know, switch you know, roles from artist to mom to driving people to whatever. So I was like, you know, we're just going to have paint on our clothes. It's okay. <laughs> so I do. I have paint. And my, my family makes fun of me. So I'll be like, oh, I have some paint on my skirt. And everyone go, will say, what a surprise. Shocking. <laughs> there was one time that I sat in yellow paint, cadmium yellow, sat in it got into my husband's truck and if you knew how much he is not a cadmium yellow paint on my seat kind of guy you would be horrified <laughs> and this this tells you how much this man puts up with me he didn't he didn't say boo like I got up and there was this splotch and I was like oh what's that and he's like gee I wonder still there. <laughs> and it reminds him every time he gets in his truck about his wonderful wife and her. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's the thought process he goes through. Yeah, right. She's wonderful. Let's work with that. <laughs> okay, tell me about Fred Rogers and his influence uh, on you. Oh, Fred. I loved him. There's what a good a, man. There is a, you have to check out Chris's Instagram feed. She has a post where she dressed up as Fred Rogers one day. She was supposed to dress up as the person who influenced her most in the last decade, I think. Yeah. Right? yeah. Okay. So that, tell us about exactly that. Right. Uh, it was a party that we were supposed to go to and it, I, there wasn't any other choice for me. When I make a, a choice or when I say something to my kids, I'll think, what would, what would Fred do? What would Fred say? You know, he just... He just had it. He knew exactly what he needed to do to make a difference. And he did it. And um, in the kindest way he could. When I saw the documentary about him and showed him testifying in front of Congress in order to keep PBS open and why it was important. And he was able to convince this group of men who had no intention of keeping PBS going. None. None. And with the kindest words, convince them to do it. And I just find that remarkable. You know, he, he died long before the last decade, in 2003. But I think that if we just all think about, you know, I try to think about what he would do. I try to think about just those things we learned in kindergarten. Be nice, share, you know, the golden rule. That's super important. You know, treat others like you'd want to be treated. These are just super simple. And I think if everybody sort of said, what would Fred do? He'd be in a little bit of a better situation a lot of the time. So he's my hero. He always will be. And I'm telling you, that was a comfortable costume. Pants. That was good. That was it. I might wear that more often. (laughs) Do you have any non-artistic endeavors that are on your bucket list that you want to try? That's a really good question. Ooh. I don't, I can't think of an endeavor, you know, any sort of goal I have right now that isn't artistic is just kid related. Like right now, I think constantly about Fred and his senior year and Fletcher and his freshman year and what those are going to look like and not like being involved. I'm, I'm not the kind of mom who, you know, is so involved that they're not having their their own way or their own journey. It's their journey. And I'm constantly saying that I, I went through high school. I have no interest in doing it again. You know, as Fred is approaching, you know, his his college experience, yeah, that's that's my second obsession, just seeing how helping him, you know, navigate this time, which is so strange because I don't know what this time's gonna look like for him. I don't know what school is gonna look like for him this coming year. The other obsession I guess I have is for um, Chuck and I when we're on our own. And I just have this vision of an Airstream and traveling the world. The traveling, not even the world. Airstreams can't go over the sea. Um, traveling the United States and just being on the move from one, one state park to the next. I would just love that. I would love it. So maybe how that. Long, how long do you think you would last? Like a year Air- or a month or... I, I mean, I could see us living like that. I really could. Indefinitely. Um, yeah. I, it's just, and you know, one of the reasons I think that, and it's, it's a contrast to my daily living. I am very present when I'm camping. We do have a camper, not an airstream, but I'm present. I am there. There is no choice. Everybody's present because you are in your campsite and there's nowhere else to be really, except for with each other. I like that feeling. I like, I like being 
present with my people. Those are my obsessions. That's another gift. A lot of people have a hard time being present with their people. Yeah, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm very good at it. So I have to work at it. What's the hardest thing about the work you do that people might not expect? Oh, photography. I, uh, Yes, I photography is the hardest part for me. I love the painting part. I love the prepping my surfaces. I, I like prepping my surfaces. I don't love it. I don't even mind website or marketing, but photography, I mean, my freshman year in art school, I must have been sleeping through that class because it has been a challenge for me to document my art and do it in a professional way so that, you know, they're acceptable to uh, juries and, and whatnot. So it's been, it's a huge challenge. And I, there are photographers that are obviously gifted at this, but it is difficult on a budget to hire someone to document your photos. So that's, that's the hardest part for me, or doc, document my paintings. That's the hardest part is, and it's like pulling teeth to get me to that step. Like I will paint 10 paintings before I'll take a photo of them and I'll do them all at once and I'll, I'll, I have a spot set up in the basement and I'll go down there and people know not to bug me because I'm so grumpy <laughs> about it. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's the, that would, I think that would surprise people. That is something that I have, I think about and dread. Ugh. I hate that too. I discovered scanning, which I don't know is a good thing or not to do with your artwork, but yeah, I wish it's just, they're too big. So I found a place that scanned, I have five foot by three foot collage grids on paper that I did sort of yeah. as an experiment. And then I ended up, I've done like four of them, but they're just on heavy paper. You can't protect them in any way. You can't varnish them. It costs $800 to frame them. I mean, it's insane. Uh, I can't do anything yeah. with them. So I found a place that has a huge flatbed scanner. I was like, is this cheating? So <laughs> I didn't go to art school. I'm self-taught. I'm winging it the whole way. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. But the best way fun. to do it. Right. Why not? And I, you know, I ask for um, advice when I can get it, when yeah. I know who to ask. But everyone photographs their paint and mine are just so big and the light is terrible. And yeah, I can tell you how many hundreds of hours I have spent on terrible, terrible photographs. I hate hundreds. it. Yep. Hundreds of hours. Okay. It, it is one of those things that th the family knows. They'll see my face. They're like, ooh, are you photographing your artwork? And I'm like, yep. Yeah. That's huge. And no, it's, I love that what you said, is this cheating? Because I ask myself that a lot when something is easy. And I don't know, or e not easy, but like a solution. I don't know what it is about people like us, like you and me, who feel like if it's easy, it must be wrong. Why does everything have to be such a struggle? Yeah, like what is that? That's that's mentally wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we are <laughs> It's like we can't give ourselves a break. I started making these collages because they were fun to do and mm. they were easy and fast and I needed to do something creative. I have a day job. I just had to do something else. And then people started saying, "Hey, these are pretty cool." And I'm like, "No, they're not. They only took me minutes to do." <laughs> And they're like, no, these are really cool. And I'm like, no, no, it's too easy. No, no, it's too much fun. No, no, not valid, not worthy because too easy, too fun, not enough struggle. Yeah. What's with that? I'm over it now, mostly, but I still have that. I can't charge too much for it if I'm having so much fun making it. Now, now that, yeah, I, you definitely need to charge a lot. Your work yeah. is beautiful and 
And maybe that is the secret, Margaret, maybe that is a secret. When it is easy, when it is fun, then it's the right thing for us to mm -hmm. do. Because I feel the same way about my paintings. It's easy and fun for me. Doesn't mean it's easy and fun for anyone else, you know, to do. And that doesn't make it less, less valuable. That's the goal. The goal is to be in flow, in a flow state, to do the thing that you were meant to do because it gives you flow, because you're better at it, because you're looser at it. And when you're done and you think, oh, that was so easy, it can't possibly be worth anything. <laughs> but that's the whole goal. That's the whole goal. It's the whole goal. I just want to flourish and feel good about my intentions, put something out in the world, give some joy to someone else. Yeah. Help make the world a less horrible place. Yeah, that's that's exact. It's the whole point of being around here. Think you know, it's such a short, it's such a short time for around. You know, why not put something out there and and enjoy every minute of it? I think that's it. Enjoying every minute, even the bad stuff, man. Like this, it's been yuck, yuck the last few weeks and few years. We just need to find a positive way to start turning it around. With art fairs <laughs> being canceled this summer. How are you changing mm -hmm. your marketing and your work life? Doing a lot more commissions or accepting. At this point in time, I would not be doing commissions, even though commissions are so important and we need them and they're a big, big part of art practices. Leading up to art fairs, it's, it's difficult to focus on them because you need to have enough things to sell at art fairs. So I would be making only things for art fairs. So now I'm doing more commissions because those have been canceled. I am really looking at this pause as a, as a gift because I will be so prepared for next year's art fairs. <laughs> and, and that I haven't, I really feel like I've been playing catch up a lot, just trying to, you know, complete commissions from the last art fair, prepare, prepare, prepare. And then, you know, the months are going by so fast and I don't feel like, didn't feel like I had enough for the art fairs. And now well, I will. So that's, that's good. That's a good thing. You are uh, the eternal optimist. Well, <laughs> no, that, that's great. we have a choice. We don't, we don't have any choice. And um, yeah, I, I'm going to have paintings coming out of my eyeballs and <laughs> I just hope they sell next year. <laughs> I, I actually, have no last, doubt. Last night, I, I actually, you were asking what kept me up at night. I woke up and I thought I'm going to have to start moving the boxes because I store my finished paintings in these boxes that I make in the guest room of our house. These are not wait, big problems, but wait, wait, boxes that you make. Yeah. Oh, it's a great storage option. So I couldn't figure out how to get my painting safely from here to there. So I found insulation sheets in an accordion fashion. They're like, they're long sheets of insulation, very thin, like half an inch thin that are accordion it's like accordion together so it just like folds up like a book and comes from Lowe's it's blue and I cut that up into boxes like thin thin long boxes that I tape together with stucco tape sticks the best they look awful they're just hideous looking <laughs> and then it has a has a top on it that I make if you like making boxes at all it's super fun and then they, I can stack them. And, Is and that they a don't thing? Look, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. <laughs> but well, Everyone who I likes think, to make boxes, pay attention. Yeah, do this. <laughs> yeah, but I, you can stack them. They don't weigh anything. So right. I, it's, it's been a good solution. But they're, you know, they're ugly and 
Hey, is there a is there a favorite thing about your workspace in your studio? Yes, I have I have a display case that I got from a Farm Girl in Milwaukee. <gasps> Literally the best place ever. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Lisa. <laughs> She's that place ha- is magical to me. Like it reminds me of the oh, what's the Stephen King book? The Necessity Room or the I can't remember where they walked in needful things and they had a thought and then it presented itself well in a non-evil way that's farm girl like you walk in you're like here's what i need and then all of a sudden you turn around and you're like there it is so she had this display for brushes and it's 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 fairly large i want to say it's like four four feet by four feet and i use it for my paint so i stuffed all the the little crevices for the brushes, you know, because it had little spaces for every size brush, but th- those were too deep to have paint in. So my paint kept falling through the holes to the very bottom. And I'd have to like dump out the whole thing. So I, I stuffed the bottom with paper towels and then I set my, my paint tubes in each of the spots. And that's my favorite thing. My other th- favorite thing is my, my Mr. T photograph, which looks over at me. <laughs> There's a story me every day. behind Mr. T. No, the story behind Mr. T. I met him. My mom had a bookstore and uh, we would go to, well, she would go to book fairs every year. And one of the book fairs we were allowed to go to. And my friend Tiffany and I stood in line for hours to meet Mr. T because he, he was pretty much the best person. And other than Fred Rogers, the best person and maybe Pee Wee Herman that has ever lived. And he wrote a book. I think, I don't remember, but we stood in line and all of a sudden this girl ditched us. Ditch in Ohio means to cut in front of in line, right? Ditch doesn't mean to like leave behind. It means that you have cut in front of me in line, right? So I've been telling this story to my husband for years and he's like, that makes no sense. She ditched you. And I was like, well, it does in Ohio. So, you know, don't worry about it. So this girl ditches us and Tiffany and I were just offended like that was you know to an 11 year old girl that's like the greatest offense that you could possibly you know get to the back of the line you don't ditch people so we finally she goes up gets her autograph and walks off and we go up to mr t and we are like the biggest tattletales on the face of the earth and we're like mr t that girl just ditched us and he said nobody (laughs) i'm sorry nobody ditches mr t's line he said it just like that. Nobody ditches in Mr. T's line. And I was like, you're the most awesome person ever. And I, I still have my <laughs> autograph photo. It was like one of the like, top 10 things that has ever happened to me. <laughs> you know, as a kid, Mr. T, I used to think, and I still think, if Mr. T's around, everything's going to be all right. Like, I just felt safer with Mr. T around. I still do. And he's, I don't know what he's doing. I hope, I hope he's doing well. I hope he is living his best life and I'm sure he is, but I, he was a big part of my childhood. That's Shout my out to Mr. Thing. T. Shout out Mr. T. Love him. You know, he did a voiceover in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. He was, he was one of the characters and I, I knew that because I recognized his voice. And when his name came up in the credits, I yelled, as loud as I could, Mr. T, and started clapping. And I was very surprised that nobody else did as well. <laughs> like, I just, I was shocked. And my kids were staring at me like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, what's wrong with you, Mr. T? <laughs> 
Oh, jeez. I love this the is 80s. the most fun. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the best morning in ages I've had. <laughs> Me, too. Me too, Margaret. Thank you for doing okay. this. Okay, okay, rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I have four of them. Number okay. one, music, podcast, TV, or silence? Audible books. I listen to books. Yes. And specifically, Dang. Charles Dickens. I listen to... I, there was a, there, about 10 years ago, I gave up on all modern literature. I don't know. Something pushed me over the edge. And so I only, I almost exclusively read Charles Dickens <laughs> because it, it seems, it seems ancient, but it isn't that every one of his books, you could, you could just transcribe into modern day, the powers that be making decisions for the rest of the people and terrible things happening to the good people bad people getting ahead but but and this is why i read charles dickens the good kind people always win always in his books it always ends happily in not like a fairy tale way in a in a realistic way and to me he's very uplifting so even the tale even tale of two cities that ends with the, the guillotine and that's a it is an inspiring positive end to a book and if you haven't read it, it's important too. So yeah, I, I listen to Charles Dickens and then I just keep listening to Charles Dickens. <laughs> yeah. What is your comfort food? Indian food. Mm. Indian food. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Sog paneer. I love. There's a place on Highway 100, Pandora Restaurant. They could not be nicer. Oh my gosh, it's my favorite place. Describe your favorite outdoor spot. Wherever our camper is. I love it. I love our camper. I love going camping. And that's funny. Like my, my mom wouldn't have touched camping with a 10 foot pole. I did not grow up camping. So when I tell my friends that knew me growing up that I love camping, they think I am flat out lying and making fun of them because they, they just cannot, cannot picture this as an option for me. <laughs> but I married a camper and I have two camping boys and it was pretty much camping or never going on a vacation. So you sort, of, you sort of work with what you, have, what you have. The camper came into our life because I just simply said, I, I can't sleep on the ground anymore. So we need to make, we may need to make adjustments. Glamping, I guess, is what people would say I do. You're still outside. That's fair. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> what would you do with a financial windfall? I would get an Airstream. I would. I would get an Airstream. Those things are expensive. Uh-huh. Um, I love them. They're just awesome but they're you know they're not they're not for they're little little and and i'm glad we don't have one now because i would they're nicer than our house and i would constantly be saying telling the kids not to step on something or you know they're just too precious they're so i guess i would get one just for me (laughs) i would get one and i would use it just just for me just for my studio If we're talking about just money that has fallen on my lap. <laughs> we are. Yeah. And that's what I would do. Me, me, me. <laughs> I feel like you do a lot of you, you, you in the rest of your life. So we'll give you that. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you so much for talking about your life and all the things that make Krista Krista. Keep doing the amazing things that you're doing. Put those great messages out in the world. Everyone needs to hear them now more than ever. Always, always, always. I just feel like you're doing a big service to artists and non-artists alike. Just anyone who needs to get through the day. I'll put 
links to your Instagram and website in the show notes. Everyone check her out. Her work is amazing. She's beautiful, smiling, optimistic. (laughs) Margaret, thank you. You are very kind. Thank you.